Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host, Gene Wilhelm. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. It is the Feast of St. Kateri Tekawitha, and we'll talk about her a little bit more. Uh, in this program, I've got a couple of guests. Adam Brill is supposed to be here in a few minutes. And then in the second half of the show, it will be Nathaniel pardon me, Nathaniel Benversi, who is with the Exodus 90 program. We'll be talking about that. Uh, let's start with the St. Joseph prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother Mary, Mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call you on you to receive me as your adopted child, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me all the knowledge and love of the sacred heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The, uh, the aspect of St. Joseph that I would like to talk about today is his steadfastness. Uh, and that's kind of a strange word that we use these days uh, more in uh, religious circles than anywhere else. It, it's talking about his faithfulness, his desire to do what God wants. He, how many of you, if you were uh, dreaming and you got this suggestion that you thought that God was telling you to do something, would wake up and do it? Uh, I've had that on a couple of occasions, not very frequently, uh, that I heard God thought I heard God calling me and talking to me while I was dreaming, but it's very unusual. And he did that, and he was steadfast. He didn't say uh, when the the angel told him to take Mary in his house. Well, it's not my kid. He didn't say that uh, when he was training Jesus to be a carpenter. He didn't say that when they sought Jesus in Jerusalem uh, when Jesus was lost in the temple. So I think that's something that we really need to, to take a look at in our own lives, whether we are steadfast, whether we are faithful in all that we do. Yeah, I agree, Gene. I, I haven't yet to uh, experience the, the a call like that or a dream that would propel me to do something. And, and I don't know that I would... If I, I don't know that I would necessarily recognize that as the, the voice of God speaking to me. I, I might have, I might act more like uh, Elizabeth's husband, who no, had a Zechariah. lot of yeah, yeah. Zechariah, a lot of questions and kind of doubting. Uh, it's uh, and I say I've had it a couple of times. It's it's usually very early in the morning, last thing I dream before I get up. So and it's it's more a recollection of some scripture or something that I've heard. The saint of the day is Saint Kateric Takeawitha. Uh, which uh, I won't try to pronounce it in the Mohawk language. Uh, I will just use the Anglicus, Ang English version of that. Uh, she, her feast day is today, uh, and she's the patron of environment and ecology, believe it or not. And the other thing is that St. Kateri Tekawitha is the first Native American to be recognized as a saint in the Catholic Church, which is a little unusual, mm -hmm. and because she, she was born in 1656, or pardon me, yeah, 1566, 
56, and she died April in April of 1680. So it took... And she wasn't declared a saint until 2012. So it took a while for that to happen. Sure, sure. Uh, what What is really interesting about her is her background. Her her mother had been uh, basically kidnapped uh, when the Mohawks captured her Algonquin village, and she was made the, the wife of a chief at that point in time. And Kateri was uh, born in that environment uh, where the Mohawks were tried to assimilate into their tribes uh, and villages, all those that they conquered, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they didn't kill. And at the age of four, Kateri developed smallpox. Uh, apparently, there was a real problem when the Europeans came over to this country uh, to, to conquer and to evangelize in that they brought the European uh, diseases with them. Uh, right. Two major ones that seemed to be very prevalent there were uh, measles and smallpox. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Native, um, I'm going to say Native American, Natives of the American continent or the indigenous people caught these. Um, Both of uh, Kateri's parents died of smallpox uh, during this one of these epidemics. And Kateri herself uh, was disfigured because of the smallpox. She had the the disfiguration of the pockmarks left on her face, and she suffered greatly for that as a as a, a child and a young woman, and apparently uh, covered her face frequently with a like a shawl or something of that nature to hide it. Uh, she uh, at the age of thirteen, apparently the, the the practice was to take a young woman and pledge her in marriage to somebody, and she refused to do that. So now was that before or after she had been baptized? No, this was long before. Okay. And she she had chosen not to marry. Her, uh, she had some relatives that were Catholic, uh, but she was not Catholic. She but she had this instinct to be a, like a consecrated virgin almost, even though she yes. wasn't yet and Christian. She, she really wasn't. Uh, she wasn't baptized until she was nineteen. And mm-hmm. and there the French Jesuits were very uh, very prominent in the, the evangelization of the Mohawks and, and the associated tribes. Uh, she was persecuted greatly for her Catholic faith in the village that she lived, and she went from somewhere in upper New York to a, a place outside of Montreal, which I don't know, that's, that's a long journey at mm-hmm. that point in time, mm-hmm. uh, and stayed there. And she had, I think, a cousin or something that was there that was Catholic. And she died there at the age of 24. And it it strikes me that if you you, if you look at some of the saints uh, that we know and love, like St. Therese of Lisieux died uh, at 24, 25. Uh, uh, Blessed Giorgio Frassati uh, died at 25. Uh, and that God can accomplish all in a person's life that— that he desires to accomplish at any age if we're just open and willing to uh, do uh, what he calls us to do. And and apparently um, St. Kateri Tekawitha was very open to that, and she was very skilled. Incidentally, Kateri is the Mohawk form of the name Catherine. She was baptized uh, as her patron saint is Catherine of Siena. Oh, I didn't know that. That's something new. I just learned about her story. So yeah. her patroness, patron saint was Catherine of Siena. Right. Beautiful. Uh, the, the, in one of the readings for today, I don't know how much time. Let's see, we've got time. Uh, let me, 
little time. One of the readings for today is out of Exodus, and it's a story of the burning bush. And uh, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I use a One Bread, One Body, which is from Presentation Ministries, as one of the meditations I do each day. And it's talking about the burning bush there. And it says that the burning bush can be a symbol of God's love for us, that it, it's, it's continuous and it's not consumed. And it's one of the things it says, some people are afraid to receive God's love. They fear that the fire of God will consume them and they will never be the same. Immersed in God's love, they know they, they'll have to repent and be dedicated to holiness. And it says, yet, just as Moses was drawn to the burning bush by the awesome of the sight of God's love, a uh, sight God's love attracts people, uh, desire despite their fears. And so, in in this, we what we in Kateri, uh, she was attracted to God and to, the, to Jesus Christ, even though it was something that really they didn't want to have going on. Do we have Adam with us yet? Okay, so we'll go on, uh, and it's 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 interesting that. That, that that is the case. Uh, one of the other scriptures that I, I take along with that is Lamentations 3, 22 to 31. I'm going to read from the uh, Lexham English Bible, not because it's Catholic or anything, but it, does, it says it in a way that is very... Uh, use a few different words, but uh, it says this, the essence is, the loyal love of Yahweh does not cease, his compassions do not come to an end, they are new in the morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. This I will hope in him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I think that's how it's in the um, in the RSV. Uh, and that, it, that it, it's a very interesting concept that God's love is there for us. His steadfast, again, it's steadfast like Joseph, but it's steadfastness. It's, it's faithful love. And... Uh, he, it's that love is is said is for us. Uh, it's the love that that we we can uh, try to get to, but it's a love that we will never really have totally and completely. Uh, and the, the idea that it does just doesn't end. It's like that burning bush. It just does not cease to his love for us does not cease to burn for us. And this is love, not our love for God, but his love for us, John tells us in 1 John. And the other thing is that it's something that just doesn't get old, it, it, because it says here, they are new every morning. The, his, his mercy and his love is new every morning, and his faithfulness to us is great. And that is really evidenced for us in the... Uh, in the... Uh, uh, story of the prodigal son... The prodigal son went off and did whatever he felt like doing, and yet the father was there waiting and looking for him and accepted him back. God, the father's love for the prodigal son did not cease because the prodigal son had become wayward. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. No matter how, how wayward we become or how uh, lukewarm we become, God's love for us does not change. And yes... God's love for us wants us to change because that's what's best for us. And uh, and I think that as we come to the end of this first hour, Gene, you know, we can 
talk about the steadfastness of God's love for us and his continual presence. And we have that as Catholics in the Eucharist. Yes, we do. Right? And along those lines, we want to finish this hour by telling people about, if you haven't already heard, that on August 12th, 13th, and 14th, there's going to be a liturgical conference at Christ the Good Shepherd Chapel. It's sponsored in part by Red Sea Catholic Radio and St. Thomas Aquinas. On the 12th, uh, Catholic recording artist Matt Mayer is coming in to give a kickoff concert that's going to be there's going to be mass on that day. And remember that that fr- that August 15th mm-hmm. is the Feast of the Assumption. So this conference, attending this conference, is going to be a wonderful way to uh, lead up to that beautiful Holy Feast of the Church, the Feast of the Assumption. So go to stabcs.org slash dwell, and you can get all of the information there about the concert with Matt Mayer and the conference. We need to sell... Uh, sell tickets. There's tickets available for that concert, but get them now while they're hot. And they are. Uh, this is Dennis Maka here. I hate that, yes. I wanted to remind all our listeners in the Central Texas and East Texas regions, this is in Bryan, Texas, mm-hmm. but it is well worth your drive. It's, okay. it's for everyone. Matt Marr puts on a really good concert. I've seen him before. And these tickets, folks, are way less than what you're going to pay in the big city. They're charging way less, and They're, it's going to be a lot more intimate venue. We yeah. got we got a little over about a minute and a half. Yeah. Explain to me what is a litur- liturgical conference? Yeah, so we're going to have four speakers. Um, Michael Gormley is one of them. Michael Rea, Father Paul Michael Piega is going to come in and speak. Okay. They're going to have different uh, speakers talking about, especially focusing in on the the real presence. And the importance of connecting with and believing in the real presence and making that the source and summit of our faith, as Vatican II has explained. And then there's going to be several um, votive masses, one for Christ the King and one for the Most Precious Blood, uh, the Rosary prayed, and there's going to be a 40 hours devotion taking place during okay. the conference. We're looking for this to be a real spiritual time of renewal for our okay, community. Okay, now, what, what type of a person or what—who should come to any this? Any and all. To, to, any I, and all, but we would, we would love it if people who are—maybe have been away, especially because of the pandemic, would— use this as a kickoff to come back to Mass regularly. Okay. Uh, We'll be back right after the break, and I'll have Nathaniel Benversi with me, and we will look forward to hearing and seeing you and listening to you then. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and uh, we have with us our guest, Nathaniel Benversi, right now. He is with Exodus 90, and hello, Nathaniel. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, It's my pleasure. I want to introduce you to all of our listeners on our three stations, uh, KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 
107.9 FM in Palestine. Uh, if you have uh, a comment or a question, uh, give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Nathaniel, you're with an organization called Exodus 90. What in the heck is Exodus 90? Yes, the Exodus 90 itself is a spiritual exercise, a 90-day spiritual exercise based on prayer, asceticism, which is acts of self-denial, and fraternity. And us as an organization, Exodus Incorporated, as a larger organization, we have a number of exercises, spiritual exercises for men, over 20, to help men be formed in their faith in a fraternity setting of men that they find in their local area. Okay, so we've got that basic thing. Let's Now let's go back and talk— excuse me, a little bit about you. Tell us about your early background, and, and we'll try to lead up to how you got involved with Exodus 90. So, Yeah, born, in, yeah, born and raised uh, Catholic and then ended up leaving the faith for a little while. I, I have two sisters, and my neighbors have uh, four boys, and I would always go to church with them at this evangelical church and then at a Pentecostal uh, uh, Assembly of God church. But a priest, a young priest, led me back into the faith when I was in high school and got confirmed Catholic then. Ended up going to the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, as opposed to the University of St. Thomas in uh, Texas. So a little colder up there in Minnesota. Yes, and it I'm is. And I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm from Wisconsin originally, though, so I was very much used to that. And uh, then ended up in seminary my, my junior and senior year of college, studying for the Diocese of Green Bay, my home diocese. After that, ended up at the University of Utah doing some campus ministry there, and then joined Focus for three years after that, before I... Uh, came to Exodus, and I had worked with James. James uh, and I were both in seminary together at the University of St. Thomas, and so we reconnected and ended up joining James to work for Exodus. In the midst of working for Focus as well, I finished my master's in theology, so I was set and ready to, uh, to did, begin work. Uh, at, did you ever s- sleep during those years? <laughs> you know, I also got married and had a child, so, uh, you know, did, did my best to, but... Uh, yeah, God had me moving quick, and it was a real gift and, and a joy every one of those years. What was the reason you chose the University of St. Thomas? As I understand it, it's a very Catholic university. Yeah, it definitely is a pretty solid university, at least in some of its aspects, right? So it has a Center for Catholic Studies started by uh, Dr. Don Briel, and that center was created because some of the theology departments around the country, and this one included was not the best. And so they, they wanted to go back to the root of liberal arts education, uh, kind of stemming from St. John Henry Newman and his idea, idea of a university. And so they made this community there, and it rapidly grew quite quickly. And I was attracted to that community, these people who were young intellectuals and desired to have a good grounding in their faith for whatever they were studying, while still being in a larger community of 5,000 undergrads who might not agree with them, or maybe they were raised Catholic and they don't have the same identity. So instead of kind of being in a bubble there amidst uh, other individuals while having good solid formation and communities, that's one of the reasons I chose St. Thomas. Uh, and so uh, it, you, there is not anything else. I mean, it, it, you chose that, and that was after you reverted back to Catholicism for your brief time away, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. And did you have somebody that you knew at the University of St. Thomas or uh, uh, some – how did you choose that? I mean, I, you say you did that, but obviously you either did some research or something to do that. Yeah, so uh, the priest who led me back to the faith in high school suggested that I apply there, 
uh, <laughs> he, he said it's full of uh, wealthy women from the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, <laughs> and I would find a wife there. And I was like, okay, great, thanks. I appreciate it, Father. He was picking on me a little bit, of course, as a, as a young high school boy, but uh, that's what he said. And I said, well, at least apply. So I looked at it, and then I found out about their Center for Catholic Studies uh, and really appreciated that. Um, they also had a Rome semester uh, that was attractive as well. Um, so, yeah. So your major was in the, the Center for Catholic Studies? Yeah, so I have a degree in, in philosophy and in Catholic studies as okay. well, yeah. Okay, so, but uh, his promise of finding a wife there didn't exactly pan out because you sent you said to spend a couple of years in the seminary. That's right. So this same priest who was my associate pastor when I was in high school ends up becoming the vocations director. And so he's visiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, so he starts visiting the seminarians who are at this at this university, and my dormitory is right next to the university. Or, sorry, right next to the to the seminary, and so he visits me while he's visiting the seminarians. And after two years of, of school there, uh, and I and I did date the first year that I was there, but in my second year, he's like, "Yeah, I don't know, I don't, you're not dating anybody. I don't know why you're not in the seminary." I'm like, okay, Father. Uh, and so I entered the seminary my junior and senior year, and it was such good formation, and I owe such a debt of of gratitude to the church for that formation, and I'm doing my best to, to give it back and to share that formation with other men now today. So, so what you're really saying is that uh, this uh, man was basically your spiritual director for several years, and he helped guide you into that, and you discerned that you need at least to check it out for yourself, and then in the process of the two years, you found out that you really weren't called to the priesthood. So it was a period That's of discernment right. for you, both throughout your uh, throughout your college career. It was a period of discernment for you. Yeah, and very intentional discernment. Definitely kind of an all-out style of discernment of like, hey, Lord, if this is what you want, I'm going to fully commit. And you either open this door further or, or close it. And uh, he closed it, which was just fine for me. I, I had a question, what should I do with my life? And I got an answer, and that vocation was the married life. Well, that then you graduated and you went to you said the University of Utah. That is quite a change from St. Thomas University. Yeah, definitely. So I uh, ended my my senior year and didn't really know what I was going to do afterwards since I was no longer going to continue on with the seminary. And so I got a job at a golf course for the summer in in Wisconsin, and uh, then decided well for the winter since there's no golf in Wisconsin in the winter time uh, for even late fall time. I decided I'll go to Utah. I love to ski. And so I got a job at a ski resort. And I drove out there just trusting in God's providence that he'd provide me a place to live. I just packed my car and mm-hmm. drove. I had the job, but no place to live. And he ended up leading me to the Newman Center at the University of Utah just to like look for a place for a few days before my job started. And their campus minister had quit two days before I got there. It's the middle of October. And I, I as I mentioned, you know, had degrees in philosophy and Catholic studies and time in the seminary. So they saw it as, well, who else are we going to find in the middle of the school year to do campus ministry? So they hired me, uh, and it was totally God's providence. And I quit my ski job uh, pretty much immediately, went to one one meeting, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Did campus ministry there the rest of the year. It sounds as though God has had his hand on your shoulder quite a bit during your lifetimes. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah he is, uh, what the, he's really been leading you by ways that— most people would say very uh, unusual. Yeah, despite my my 
times of trying to fight him or not. Yeah, that's oh, totally oh, true. You're the only one that does that, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to remind our listeners that uh, Nathaniel Ben Ben, pardon me, Ben Deasy is my guest today. He's with Exodus 90, uh, and to all of you listeners out there, uh, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, you're you're listening either on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 in Palestine. You can call us at 85 Love Red Sea. That's 855-683-7332. And I forgot to mention, those of you that are listening on our app or are streaming off of our website, redsearadio.org, uh, you can call too. Uh, so let's go on then. So you, how long were you the campus minister there? I just did that one academic year, and I met a friend while I was there, and uh, he suggested that, that I join Focus. Uh, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And I knew that my job at that at the University of Utah was going to come to an end at the end of that year because I was just filling in. A new priest was coming at the end of that year and bringing his own campus minister with him. So I applied to be a focused missionary and uh, indeed got the job, ended up going to the University of Northern Colorado. And uh, after that year there, I ended up being a team director uh, at uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, the next two years with Focus as well. I, I, I have a Focus missionary uh, young man here that is going to the University of Dallas, and uh, how is that different? I mean, it, it's got to be different at a Catholic university, the, fo- the Focus. Uh, so how do you minister in a place like the University of St- Franciscan University of Steubenville, which is, again, a very Catholic, uh, uh, authentically Catholic university? Yeah, very different indeed. That's absolutely right. Instead of running into people who say like, oh, you're a Jesus freak, like I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to know God, we ran into people who said, what are you doing on our campus? Shouldn't you be at Ohio State evangelizing the pagan? <laughs> it was very, very different, right? Yeah. The, the interesting thing about Franciscan, in, and well, about any place, is we all need ongoing conversion, right? And that's a very Franciscan thing to say in terms of the religious order, like this, this life of ongoing conversion. So... Uh, sometimes we forget that we need ongoing conversion when we're surrounded by so many other people who are Catholic as well. There are some awesome people, no doubt, at Franciscan University who are really striving and praying really hard every day, letting the Lord convert them. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who they were, like, let's say, the smartest or the, the most spiritually advanced in their high school, and then they go to Franciscan. And it's like the kids who go to Yale. Now they're amidst everybody who is equal to them. They're no longer the best, right? Everybody is super smart at Yale and everybody who goes to Franciscan. Now it's a slight exaggeration, but it feels like this when you're a student there. It feels like everybody is just as holy as me or that I'm finally realizing maybe I'm not as holy as I thought. But now I have to fake it. I have to like keep trying as hard as I can like the kids at Yale, except for in the spiritual life, not let people know that I might not be as, as far as I really am. So you've got kids who are showing up to daily Mass every day, but outside of daily Mass and maybe like this commitment to the rosary, they don't actually have a relationship with our Lord that leads them to simply talking to Him or listening to Him. And they end up with these masks on, and sometimes for years, for all of their years there. And unfortunately, the Franciscan has done some studies, and sometimes they realize, or they have realized in their studies, that too many of their students, they leave Franciscan and fall away from the faith. How does that happen? Because they spent four years kind of hiding behind their masks and not actually building a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. So the mission, very different at Franciscan, still absolutely important and so good because when the kids do realize, hey, I'm faking it and I want something deeper, they have every resource available to them, mass three times a day, anything they want, it's there at Franciscan, which is a huge gift if they're willing to open themselves to it. You bring up a very good point that I think Saint uh, Pope Francis has been uh, talking about a lot, especially early in his pontificate, that uh, it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to convert somebody to Catholicism until you've converted them to Jesus Christ, because mm-hmm. you, that is that's where it is, really is. And, and to, uh, the, it's so easy as a cradle Catholic, for example, to uh, just hide behind all of the religiosity and not really have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And and so that's very important. And I don't think that uh, the ministry here, for example, at St. Mary's is very active, probably as active as what you had at, at uh, Franciscan University of Stoomfield. And we still have students that after they leave here and get out of this protected environment, leave the church. Yeah. Tell us yeah. a little, tell us a little bit about your post-focus Adventures, or you, or were you at? Were you doing your master's degree at Augustine Institute while you were on Focus? Yeah, I was doing it at the same time as being a Focus missionary. So I finished that up uh, just after I finished my time with Focus, and then as soon as I finished that, uh, you know, eleven o'clock at night the next morning, eight a.m. I started with with Exodus. Uh, right after that, I had moved my family that summer to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where we live now, and where the Exodus headquarters is. But that. That was. How did you make that decision? How did you get involved in Exodus ninety? Did you know about it? Did you, were you were you uh, promoting it at Franciscan uh, University, or how did you get involved? It's 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 an interesting way place to be. Yeah, so I had done Exodus ninety with students at Franciscan for the first time uh, the fall prior to to being with to joining uh, Exodus as a staff member. And in the spring or into the summer, I did it as well with some young adults. So I'd done it twice. And as I mentioned, I went to seminary with James at the University of St. Thomas. And so James was the the one who essentially more or less started Exodus 90. You know, a priest came up with the idea and wrote it in its first form and then handed it to James and said, I'm a priest, of course, like you, you, you can do this. I need to focus on my priesthood. Right. And so he did that, handed it over to James. James took it and made it public for laymen. Uh, instead of just for seminarians, which is what it was prior to this. And uh, James had one other team member at the time. His name was Mark, and Mark is still with us indeed on our team today. He does our, our fundraising, our mission work there, which is a gift to have him on the team doing development. And at the time, it was just those two, and I saw the need for Exodus, to, the, the document itself, the spiritual exercise, to be polished up or rewritten, if you will, in a, in a way that it could handle the growth that I thought Exodus was going to have. Exodus was only a couple years old at this time. We didn't know how how big it was going to be, but I certainly saw like, wow, this thing is really going to grow. I saw it in, as a gift in my, in my own life and knew it would be that way for others as well. Now, did you had a lot of classes or did you th- feel you had a talent for, I'm going to call it writing, that you could assemble this stuff, the ideas, and, and make it more presentable? Or was that something, a gift that God had given you? Or is it something you learned in college or, or anything like that or at Augustine Institute? Yeah, that's a really good question. If you would ask me that in high school, I would have said, absolutely not. My 
my under the four categories or whatever there are in the ACT, my English and writing was the well, not the writing, but the English was certainly the worst category. I was good with writing and I'm good with rhetoric in terms of, of speaking as well. So once I finished my master's in theology or in the midst of doing it, I just realized a much different comprehension than I had in, in college even. Like when I finished my philosophy and my Catholic studies undergrad, I was like, well, uh, I got a degree, but I don't really know anything about these things. I just know how much I don't know. And when I got my master's, as much as sure, I learned more about how much I don't know. It's called the master's for a reason. I really feel like the Lord had given me uh, a much more confidence of mastery of the topic itself, at least to the extent of him wanting and instilling me a confidence to apply the gift that he's given me uh, to this work and bring this education, if you will, uh, the gift of the Logos in Scripture to others. So and again, I had a confidence that I hadn't had before. Yeah. Again, Logos is that Greek word for word. So yeah. it's the Logos. It's, it's the, the Word of God, for example. Uh, what, what you're telling me really is that even uh, in our lives, uh, we are continually discovering the person that God created us to be and the gifts that he's given us and, and how he wants to develop them. And, and uh, some of what, uh, what we should be doing, how, what direction we should be going. And that might have been a little difficult for you, even though you saw it was there. Perhaps you doubted yourself that you could do these things. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. There's certainly plenty of days just like, wow, I never thought I'd be a writer, especially in this degree. But the gift, uh, the gift of the Lord and the gift of the grace that he continues to give, like, as long as I was faithful to him, faithful to my, my time of prayer every day, faithful to my, to my life of asceticism and my fraternal life with my brothers, like he just kept pouring in the graces. And just enough, not an abundance where it's like, oh, yeah, I totally got this, like, no big deal. No, it was like, golly, I need to be on my knees, like, help me, Lord. But he always provided enough to continue moving this forward. And it's been a real gift to be able to work with this, uh, with Exodus and to pr- move this mission forward as well. How long have you been with Exodus now, Nathaniel? I've been here three years, yeah. Three years, that seems like a long time, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, sometimes, especially yeah. when you're relatively young like me, it feels like a long time, but I hope to be here much longer. Yeah. Again, uh, listeners, uh, my guest today is Nathaniel Benversi, and he's we're going to be talking in just a minute about Exodus 90 itself. Uh, I welcome all of our listeners on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. Palestine, pardon me, I gave the non-Texas pronunciation of that. Uh, we <laughs> invite you to call us at 85-LOVE-RED-C, 855-683-7332. And you who are listening to us streaming, uh, we invite you to call as well. And uh, I am your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I am so glad to be here with you today and to have uh, Nathaniel as my guest. Okay, now, your your title, I think, is con- Director of Content for Exodus, so that's a nice thing. Well, that's a that's a very nice word for a writer, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. And I do more than than the writing, indeed, as well. So we have a podcast, the Exodus Ninety Show, can be found on all the different platforms, and we have a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com dot com slash Exodus Ninety. So I'm in charge of all of that 
content as well and all the Day 91 exercise writings also. Okay, so let's stop right now and, and tell us uh, if someone hears something here for them that appeals to them or they think they know somebody uh, who would benefit from what we're going to be talking about in just a minute, where do they go to find out what this is all about or what to do next? Especially if they're interested in uh, learning more about Exodus 90 as a spiritual exercise or the other things that we have to offer, Exodus90.com is the best place to start. That's Exodus90.com. And you can even sign up there for our, our weekly wisdom email that we have, wisdom from the Old Testament with a little reflection each week. We'll send you that, you know, that and not bombard you with too much more. Then you get a sense for what are we offering here? What mm-hmm. kind of masculine formation are we offering? But that would be the best place to start, exodus90.com. And you, are you the one that is the developer of that content for the weekly email? Yeah, they're all, all actually pulled straight out of our exercises. We have okay. over 900 days worth of, of okay. reflections already. Uh, so it's been a huge gift to be able to take those and give people a sense for what those are. But I put together the list. That when, people would when we talked uh, when we talked about Exodus ninety I don't know, a couple of weeks ago whenever it was you said that the primary purpose of Exodus ninety is to provide freedom uh, would you expound on that a little bit what, what uh, people hear Exodus ninety and maybe they go to the website and they say well it's all about porn and uh, and getting rid of porn in your life but what what do you mean by freedom. Yeah, freedom. I, when people ask you, what do I do? And they have no idea who I am. Like I'm just meeting them in the airport or something and talking to them. I just like to say, I help the free man. And then they, you do one of two things. They either nod their head and say no more, or they ask me a question. And the question is almost always the same. Uh, so like the incarcerated? <laughs> and no, not exactly, but maybe them too. Uh, so freedom, right? We, we think as Americans that we're free, that we're totally free. And yeah, we live right here in America, and so we have this sense of freedom, but not exactly the same as what I'm talking about here, or what the Lord would desire for us as freedom. Ask yourself this, I suppose. Like if you, if you passed your favorite food or your favorite restaurant and it was lunchtime, like are you free to not stop and eat at that restaurant? If your favorite sports team was playing on Sunday afternoon, are you free to say no to watching that sports game? If you think, yeah, of course I am, we'll try it, and then you'll know. You're getting anxious about, you know, missing that sports game or whatever, favorite hobby, all these things. We're simply setting down our cell phone when we go home each day. Like, are we free to just take our cell phone, turn it off, and leave it on our dresser until the next morning? Mm -hmm. Some of us have a greater freedom than others, but I don't know about you. I I have plenty of things that I, I need more freedom from, that I'm attached to that are preventing me from being the husband and father that I need to be. I, if, That's the kind of freedom we're talking coming about. Coming from the University of uh, Franciscan University, I'm, here you, I'm sure you heard from some of the people there the term being in bondage to various things. Is, and that's what you're talking about here, that somehow or other uh, we are bound up with uh, whatever it happens to be that keeps us from being free. We, we are not free to be who God called us to be. We are not free to do the things that, that we really need to be doing. We're not free to, to help the people that we should be helping because we're so bound up with all these things that we think we need to have to be able to survive. Yeah, definitely. So we talked to, when we talked, we talked about attachments and indulgent behaviors. You want to talk a little bit about those two? 
Yeah, so we can have many different types of, of lack of freedom, if you will. It can be everything, everything from as far as an addiction, like we're literally addicted to something, or it could be as little as simply this form of attachment to things or somewhere in the middle where we kind of face this bondage situation. So uh, regardless of what we are attached to, it's important for us to first know that we're even attached to it. And when we never take time away from the things that we love or enjoy or things that we are in a habit of participating in, then we're not really sure if we're attached to them or not. I know doing Exodus for the first time myself, doing Exodus 90, I found out some things that I was attached to that I didn't even know. And that's such a common occurrence for men who have done Exodus. Just to kind of lay out Exodus for a second here, Exodus 90, there's a list of disciplines of things that you have to give up during these 90 days. And it's a pretty long list. Yes. And there's things that you probably like, why would I even need to give up alcohol? I don't struggle with alcohol. Or why would I need to give up television? I don't struggle with that. But once you start giving these things up for 90 days, about 30 days in, you realize, wow, I didn't know. I leaned on that so much. I was attached to that so much. I turned to that in these times of stress or these times of frustration or whatever. So these different forms of attachments can certainly creep into our life even when we don't know it. Well, in, in, in that regard, uh, Exodus 90 is a 90-day program, and it, it, uh, when I looked at some of the things, it, it's some of the things that uh, men give up during this program are things that we would typically say, well, I'll, I'll give up alcohol or TV or XYZ for Lent, but I sure am glad when Easter comes so I can go back to them. And Exodus 90 mm-hmm. tries to take a little step farther, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So certainly the research shows that it takes at least 90 days to break a habit in terms of giving yourself a percent chance high enough to actually stay free from that habit once you break it. And then to give you some room to start forming new habits, which is why we have 20 plus other exercises after Exodus 90 to help men continue to build better habits. So yeah, we want to we form men, just like the seminary forms good priests. We're trying to build a seminary over the whole world where men can enter into this formation and be formed into the exact man God wants them to be, the exact husband, the exact father that we know we need to be as men. So not just giving things up for a little bit of time, but learning how to live the Christian life for the rest of our life so that we can be filled with the peace and joy that we want. Well, that that is talking about a little bit what you're saying there is that three-legged stool of Exodus 90, is it not? Yeah, definitely. Good. Talk about yeah. that a little bit, the, the three-legged stool. Yeah, so there's three pillars of Exodus 90 that we talk about here, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. And really, these are just three aspects of the Christian life. You can completely take Exodus, any of the Day 91 spiritual exercises that we have, you could take those all away. And these three things would still be completely critical to the Christian life. That's a life of prayer, a life of fraternity, and a life of asceticism, and asceticism defined as simply acts of self-denial. These three things all show up in the Old Testament. God tells us all about them in the Old Testament. Plenty of examples of of life of prayer, a life of fraternity, like Israel being together, and a life of asceticism. Look at all of the the old law of how we need to sacrifice things before the Lord and detach ourselves from these things. Okay, we might say, well, that's great, Nathaniel, but I don't know if you know, but Christ already came, died, and rose again. We're a New Testament people here. Forget the old law. Well, God tells us about it through the epistles as well. He, he shows us through St. Paul and the other writers this life of prayer, this need for fraternity, 
this Christian community, and this need for asceticism, these acts of self-denial, joining ourselves to the cross as well. And if we don't like it from the Old Testament, and we don't like it from the epistles, well, God sent his son incarnate to model the very life that we're called to live for us. He modeled it. If we want to be Christian, if we want to be Christ-like, well, then we got to be like Christ. we got to live the life that he lived. He lived a life of prayer. He lived a life of asceticism. We see him in the desert. We see him taking up his cross. And we live, he lived a life of fraternity. We see him going camping for three years with 12 other dudes. Definitely a well, life that we need to live. That is definitely a long camping trip, isn't it? <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the... Uh, one of the things that Jesus has told us, and I, I like the verse in uh, Luke 9, I think it's 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And that's a little of what Exodus 90 is talking about, isn't it? I mean, the cross is the, the, cross is the self-denial of those things that we find comfortable, those things that we... Uh, and get involved in or use to uh, to numb the pain of our lives, and and we just Jesus has told us that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it seems like sometimes we for, we start to think that our cross is like our sinfulness or or something like that, and we just have to carry this, the burden of these sins ourselves. It's like, mm, sorry, we're not strong enough to carry our own sins. That's Christ's cross. He did that for us already. We have a very different set of suffering uh, that we are called to take up and a life that we're called to take up. So I totally agree with you there. Like this Christian life, it's, it, this asceticism, it's, it's so vital to who we are. So Exodus 90 helps us to implement a life of prayer by listing a set of disciplines for prayer and what you're supposed to do each day. And then it helps with asceticism by listing a set of disciplines for asceticism for these 90 days. And then fraternity as well, calling you to be in a group of five to seven men, starting for these 90 days and continuing on afterwards, holding each other accountable, meeting once every week, checking in with at least one of those guys each day. Exodus 90 is a starting point for us to learn how to live the Christian life. So even if you don't want to do Exodus 90, right, you still have to live a life of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. How are you going to do that? It's on you, if you choose not to do Exodus 90, to figure that out, to figure out how to do it. And I couldn't find a better way to do it, which is why I loved Exodus 90. That's why I work for them today, to help men have this gift, this tool, to live the Christian life. Okay. Uh, again, listeners, this is Gene Wilhelm, and my guest today is Nathaniel Benversi uh, with Exodus 90. Uh, if you have a question or comment, I would invite you to call, whether you're listening online at redsearadio.org, where this program is streaming, or if you are listening on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 in Palestine. And again, our phone number is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. You talk about it, it's a change of the way of life, and... Uh, the, and, and you talk about you have these, uh, I guess it's meditations, daily meditations to help men live, begin this life of prayer. Is there an expectation of how long a man will be doing prayer each day? Yeah, so within Exodus 90, you're called to do a holy hour every day. 
And that is a lot of time. You might think that is way more than I have time for. Well, if it's too much prayer, fear not. I thought it was too much at one point too. But the asceticism, the list of self-denials help with that because there's no use of the computer and no use of the television, except for, for like work, or if you need to pay a bill or do your work, of course, at work, you can use your computer, which means there's no Netflix, no YouTube. There's no listening to, to music except for music that lifts your soul to God. No podcast during this time. So all of this time that we kind of waste doing other things, we now have time for. No watching sports during these 90 days. Opens us up, opens our schedule up to be uh, present to the Lord and to learn how to pray a holy hour each day. And if we don't have time for an absolute holy hour every day or on a given day, then great. We can do at least 20 minutes of silent prayer. Nothing else, just silent talking to, the, to our Lord and learning how to dialogue well, the other, him. the other half of that is sometimes we need to be quiet to see whether the Lord has anything to say to us. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's probably the hardest part. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And the fraternity is interesting. Uh, I, w- I went to Mass last Friday morning, and there were a group of, I don't know, five, seven guys that— that were in an Exodus 90 group that were going to mass together and going to breakfast afterwards. Uh, and I thought that was interesting that I would uh, run into them uh, when we were going to be talking this week. And I, I know several of these guys, and they're good men. Yeah, it's been a gift to watch men. I mean, over 40,000 men have done Exodus 90 already in the, in the short six years that we've been around, this, this being our sixth year. And all over the world, too. Like, we've been in all 50 states for a number of years now. But we're, we're in over 50 countries as well. I just got back from Slovakia two weeks ago. We've had 2,000 men in Slovakia. Can we even find Slovakia on a globe? I couldn't before I, had to, before I got invited over there to speak. I had to look it up. We could because we had a volunteer here at the radio station who was from Slovakia. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? But what you're saying, too, is it's not just some man that is struggling, struggling, struggling with his, his, his life. It could be good men that can benefit from Exodus 90. Absolutely. In fact, I think good men are who benefit the most because they're ready to give their life more fully to God. They're ready to take that next step to push their life even further. And I'm not sure what else does it better than Exodus 90, to be honest, which is why I work here. It's why I promote it. If I didn't believe it. I'd go work somewhere else. Uh, but it's just awesome to see marriages healed, to see men be more attuned to their children, to be more present at work. We have guys who do sales, and they're like, wow, I had the best sales quarter I have ever had while I was in Exodus 90. Well, yeah, because you weren't checking ESPN scores in between every phone call you made. It's just a real gift that men can be more fully alive and more present to, to their families and to the Lord. What uh, what motivates a man? I mean, is it prodding from the wife, uh, a friend, or disgusting being disgusted with their life as it is, or discouraged by the life? That is? What motivates a man to explore Exodus ninety? Have, have you done any surveys or uh, anything on that research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, we do as many surveys as we can. We get really good results, and data is really what's been driving. Our future work here is we really want to deliver the truth to men and and the best product that we can. So I would say prodding from the wife often can make an effect, but also it can can drive resentment because a man needs to be the spiritual leader and a woman trying to lead the man to be a spiritual leader. I mean, 
That's just exactly the opposite of what kind of needs to happen, unfortunately. So the man needs to see the need himself. He needs to see it. And as soon as he does, and this usually happens, you know, when he, when he fails, he sees his failure in the disappointment on the, on the face of his wife and on the face of his children. And if he can encounter Christ in that disappointment, in that moment, then he wants to change his life. And when he wants to change his life, and he has a good reason why to change it, his wife, his children, his job, then he does, and he'll do whatever he can to make that happen. He usually needs brothers to help him, though, because we're weak. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty weak. I need my brothers to keep me on the track. When I make that resolution to change my life, I need my brothers to be there to help me stay committed to that resolution, which Exodus 90, of course, provides when we go out and find those brothers and invite them to do it with us. Well, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is his greatest in weakness. And I think that has to be true of Exodus 90 or, or most of the ministries that I know of that are around that are helping people to become better people and men in particular. And uh, but but how do they become how does a man become aware of Exodus 90? I guess that's the basic question. Do you do you under do you know how that happens or do they just stumble across it or or? Yeah, most of our men, the highest percentage of our men find out about Exodus 90 from somebody else, word of mouth, which is truly amazing. We did, you know, a ton of digital advertising last year. And sure, people may have seen our ads, maybe they hadn't, but they didn't know about Exodus just from like this blip of an ad on their screen. We pass so many digital ads every day when we scroll through things. So the most of them hear it from a friend. Either that friend has done it themselves or that friend knows somebody who has done Exodus 90 in their life has been changed by it in such a positive way. And so they invite their they invite their brothers. They say, "Hey, I, I want my life to change too. I need five guys. You, 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 Jim at work. I know you're not even Catholic. That's okay. Come change your life with us. We need your help." Jim's like, "I'm all in. Let's do this." So and that's how they hear about Exodus ninety. So Exodus ninety isn't just for Catholic men. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, in some of the things when I I looked at Exodus ninety, is preparing for this, and we talked, I see some some uh, complementarity between Exodus 90 and, say, a 12-step program uh, where uh, understanding that, you, that their life is out of control, and which is very difficult for a man to admit, that uh, you can't change it on your own and that you have to be totally dependent upon God, like the first three steps out of a 12-step program. Do you find that there's some men that are involved in both when they're in Exodus 90, or or how does that work, or or do you make that same association that I just did? Yeah, I would say there certainly is men who have done both, and the whether or not you think your life is out of control is often uh, a reason why a lot of men don't even do 12 steps to begin with, right? Because they don't think their life's out of control, uh, and that can that can sound like oh my life is out of control, like there's no way, like I'm in relative control. Okay, yeah, relatively speaking, or in comparison to other people, maybe your life is in control. At the same time, if your life is in control by you as a Christian, if you're the one controlling your life, it actually can be a problem in and of itself. And Exodus 90 helps men, I would say, even some men, to realize, wow, I either have way too much control of my life, or I actually don't have as much control as I thought, but God doesn't have that control either. My appetites have that control of my life. So it's an eye-opening experience for men, and they start to realize that uh, this has nothing to do. I mean, Exodus 90 often gets blamed as like, oh, that's just a macho thing. Guys go over there, they take cold showers, they give up alcohol, and they do exercise just to prove that they're men. 
And men who have not done Exodus 90, they point at Exodus and say, that's what it's about, this pridefulness, this puffing their feathers. Men who have done Exodus 90 realize very quickly, mm-hmm. this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. Now, we've it got to do with... Okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, we got about a minute, a little over a minute and 20 seconds. I want to talk a little bit, just can you briefly talk about the book that you wrote? And it's a children's book. And you yeah, wrote a book yeah. and what, what it has to say. Uh, we're just trying to reach men in every place, however we can. And, and so for a man who's unwilling to read, let's say, a Dr. Han, Scott Han book or something like that, great. How about reading a, a, ch- a children's book to your children? And the book is called The Strongest Man I Know. You can find it at thestrongestmanIKnow.com. And it's about the importance of prayer in our daily life. It's a great book to read to our children, to encourage our children and help them understand the strength that comes from this surrendering to God, to relying on Him. And it's good for us to hold ourselves accountable, to read this over and over to our children, to remind ourselves, wow, yeah, I need to show up to prayer each day. I need to rely on God and let Him lead my life so that I can lead my family. Okay, and with that, I'm going to bring it to a close here. Again, the website is exodus90.org. Dot com. Dot com. 90com Thank you so much, uh, Nathaniel, for being my guest today. This is Gene Wilhelm. And remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. Walking, shake off, rumors and talk.